Hey there, Kevin Schmidlin here, host, creator, and producer of Philly Who. This is going to be a little bit different than the Philly Who episodes that you're used to hearing because they are very edited um, and they take months and months and hours and hours of editing to produce. This is one take and is completely unedited stream of thought. Uh, this is the second sort of special episode on the Philly Who feed this year. The first one was uh, the story of four uh, UPenn entrepreneurs aiming to combat the COVID crisis by building face shields. And then this one, both are in response to uh, quite historic events. The first one, the uh, advent of the COVID pandemic. And this one is in response to the historic uprising across the country of anti-racism. Now, I've been fairly quiet, all things considered, on social media, and so have the social media accounts uh, related to this podcast. I'm never the type to chime in uh, to a big crowd at any moment, and particularly in this moment, I wanted to really sit back, listen, understand what was going on, and reflect on my role in everything. And I didn't, I didn't feel that you know me reposting a bunch of stuff that I saw would really help because everybody else was doing that. You may or may not agree, um, but I wanted to take my time and really understand, uh, you know, really process. So I've done that. It's been a couple weeks, uh, and I actually would like to read for you a blog post that I wrote. Um, I have a blog website that I've, I think I've posted three or four posts on over the years. There was a post about me leaving my corporate job. Uh, there was a post about, uh, I think, the launch of Philly Who, and I would like to read this one. So, the post is called, My Podcast is a Success, But in a Major Way, I Failed. This past December, I caught a cold. My nose was stuffy and my throat was scratchy, so I sounded too gross to record voiceovers, and I was freaking out. I was about to break my weekly Philly Who episode streak, and there really wasn't anything I can do about it since I couldn't make the stuffy nose go away at will. It took me three weeks to fully recover, but as those weeks progressed, what I first thought to be a roadblock quickly turned into a blessing. Getting myself out of the incessant self-imposed weekly sprint allowed me to slow down, reflect, and zoom my perspective out to the big picture. And what did I realize? I realized that I have failed. Let's back up. From the very beginning, before I conducted a single interview ever in my life, I made three rules that would govern how I conducted the show. Release an episode every week, make every second count, and make sure the body of work reflects the human demographics of Philadelphia. With those three core drivers constantly front of mind, I knew that I would have a successful, high-quality, representative show in no time. This was the most complex project I'd ever taken on, though, and what I naively failed to realize is that it is downright impossible to maximize any of those variables without giving way on the other two. So where have I failed? Representation. Over that sick leave turned staycation when I got sick, I ran some numbers on the show. Listenership, frequency, engagement, all those things. Strong figures, a couple of new insights here and there, nothing crazy. Then I took a glance at my guest demographics, and what I saw was startling. 
As far as race and ethnicity goes, 67% of my guests were white, 16% were black, 3% were Middle Eastern, 6 Hispanic, 6 Asian. And as far as gender goes, 71% of my guests were male, 29 were female, and there was nobody that identified otherwise. I was floored. How could this be? <laughs> I stuck to the three rules. From the very beginning, I consistently thought to myself, self, you're a white dude. You must be mindful of representation and be careful not to make a show that continues the disproportionate celebration of white dudes over everyone else. Furthermore, how the hell did I not recognize this sooner, right? It took so long to build this base of, to build this base of guests. How did I fail that whole time to take a step back and realize how homogenous my guest list was? I've discussed this casually many times with mentors, listeners, and friends over the first few months. Representation is important to me. I do care. I don't want to be another one of those white bros. I didn't want to fall into the trap of unrecognized to me, yet obvious to others, bias. Still, as the new year rang in, I reviewed my body of work as a whole for the first time. I was so ashamed that I had failed to ensure that my guest demographics promote diversity and inclusion, and I realized that caring is not enough, and being mindful is not enough. Awareness is not enough. Now, this isn't the end of the world or the end of my podcast. In fact, I'm glad I recognize this at all. Everyone is liable to be blinded by their own bias, regardless of their position or demographic. I'm human. Further, I stand fully behind the choice to feature each and every one of my guests thus far. They all have accomplished incredible things, have contributed positively to Philadelphia, and deserve to have their story told. I wouldn't go back and not feature them, but I do wish I could go back and adjust the timing of when I featured them. To make my podcast better reflect Philadelphia's actual human fingerprint, I must adjust course and improve my guest selection process. But before that, I must first understand exactly where I went wrong and where I let my bias blind me. Now, on one hand, I can see how many may not be sympathetic to the fact that I'm surprised by this revelation. I personally selected and invited every guest, interviewed them, and created promo content featuring their face. I discussed this very topic on the podcast itself with Brendan Lowry, creator of the People Delphia Instagram account. That account tells Philly stories through photographs. And to promote the episode, I even circulated a clip of him having the exact same realization about his Philly storytelling platform. Now, I was a little more heavy-handed with the music back then, so excuse that, but here's the clip. You know, there was one day where I posted a photo of um, a street musician. It was a, it was a black man playing a trumpet. And I shared the photo and there was a comment from somebody um, which is one of the first negative comments that I ever received. And I was probably at a few thousand followers at this point. Um, and he mentioned how, you know, I was just perpetuating stereotypes, right? I wasn't showing other black people in, you know, a tech uh, job or in a suit or exploring other alternatives outside of just street music. And of course, my, my initial, you know, white privileged reaction was, uh, you know, I, what are you talking about? Like I share all types of races and I, you know, got defensive because I felt like I was being attacked. Um, but in reality, he was absolutely right. The stories that I was telling 
and the paths that I was going down was all through my lens of, you know, where I work, the friends that I have, the places that I live. And I realized that, you know, I started to have this responsibility, right? If I'm, if this account has thousands of followers and I'm supposed to be telling Philadelphia's story through people, it can't just be through my lens or my context. Um, and that was an exciting moment because, you know, it, it sort of changed my uh, view on the account and sort of how I'm telling other people's stories. But additionally, it really started... That sounds familiar. This perspective was handed to me on a silver platter back in August 2018. Yet, I took no heed. But at the same time, this type of boiling the frog situation has actually cropped up in my life before, in my childhood struggle with obesity. Hear me out. So by the time I was 16 years old, I weighed roughly 300 pounds. Thankfully, that's no longer true, but thinking back upon my childhood, there really wasn't a moment where I went from a healthy weight to being extremely obese. It happened gradually without me really ever noticing. And anybody who has gained weight before knows that while it is the result of making poor health decisions day in and day out for a prolonged period of time, it can happen without you noticing it at all. You really do wake up one day and look in the mirror and are startled. Likewise, in the other direction, there wasn't a moment where I was no longer obese physically. It happened super gradually, almost unnoticeably. But it only happened after I fundamentally changed the way that I thought about food and exercise and correspondingly changed the way I acted every single day. The point is this. A long-term state-of-being goal like physical fitness, financial freedom, or having a representative and inclusive podcast is dependent upon short-term decisions that you make each and every day. And if, like me, you're not careful you'll fall into short-term exceptionalism and achieve the exact opposite of what your stated long-term goal is. What is short-term exceptionalism? Well, think about a long-term goal that you've aimed to achieve. And on a given day, when the time comes to be disciplined, you've told yourself, just this once, or it's a special occasion, or tomorrow I'll start managing this. Odds are, it's every time. Or at least, that's my tendency everything, I find a way to make an exception. What I've realized is that week after week, just this once, I postponed expanding my guest selection beyond my pre-existing circles in the name of releasing an episode each and every week. I continuously said that next week I'll focus on being more representative, but for now, I gotta get this episode out. It doesn't work that way. It needs to be a priority at all times. This reveals a truth that can be applied to pretty much every walk of life, which is you can only have one priority at a time. So I thought that my list of priorities was unordered. Crank out those episodes weekly, every second counts, and diversity and representation is paramount. But in reality, it was in that order that I prioritized those things. Subconsciously maintaining a weekly cadence was my top priority. I did make it a point to expand outside of my lens and beyond my network, but every time the weekly streak was in danger, I would quickly rush to find a guest to fill the spot. And the path of least, the path of least resistance most commonly led me to a white male, as my background and network heavily revolves around tech and entrepreneurship. Those areas are disproportionately skewed towards white males. I didn't have to tell you that, you already know. 
Also, for podcasts, guests beget guests, meaning most future guests actually come through connections made by past guests. So at the beginning, I rode that rail a little too hard. And if you do that, you get many guests of the same demographic and of the same industry. And I did this for the sake of speed and ease. And as a result, for a while, my show seemed to be the Philly Startup Founder Show. Now, it takes immense effort to meet people outside of your own circles. You must consistently be out of your comfort zone in places you've never been with people and communities you've never seen. I've expanded my perspective a little bit with this show, but certainly not to the extent that this project could afford me and really deserves. I've put my head down and focused solely on cranking out content at a high speed, and as a result, I starved myself of the time and patience to really explore and discover new people, new perspectives, and new stories. So here's how I plan to fix it. The thing about this issue is that it's not something that I can fix immediately. I currently have five interviews recorded uh, that aren't even edited yet, and most of them are white. I think all of them are male. Furthermore, about 55% of the interviews I have scheduled over the next three months are with males. The part that hurts the most about this realization is that it's gonna take just as long to fix as it did for me to create the problem in the first place. Remember that weight analogy? Same thing. There are no instant fixes, no magic diets. The only solution is a long-term commitment to getting it right each and every day. But at the same time, this newfound outlook is really exciting to me. I'm gonna learn from, meet, and love so many more people with whom I would not have interacted before. And really, despite the contrite tone of this post, I don't hate myself for making the mistake of being blinded by my own bias. If anything, I'm happy to have caught it at all and eager to share my lesson. Through this, I'm looking forward to growing as a person and becoming an expert at discovering and amplifying great stories from every single corner of Philadelphia. So the immediate steps that I've taken to adjust course are, I've begun reaching out to others for recommendations of great Philadelphians whose stories deserve telling. I've always done this, but now I've ramped it up and improved my tracking of suggestions. I brought on a talented junior producer who is an extremely talented woman and is excited to help me see, through, see Philadelphia through a new lens. And while I still intend to release weekly, the cadence is no longer the end-all be-all. To that point, I'll be holding on to some of the already recorded episodes a little longer than originally planned and spacing them out. I'm done hiding behind the fact that this has been a one-man production. Yes, it's great what I've accomplished with this show all by myself, and it's cute to use that as an excuse for so many different shortcomings, but it's time for the operation to grow up. Since having this realization, I've brought it up to nearly everybody who might listen. By doing so, part of me is looking for help in expanding my perspective and discovering new people and stories, but another part of me just wants to broadcast that I now realize how badly I've missed the mark. Hopefully people won't pass judgment. Some definitely already have, albeit silently, and some will regardless, and that makes me sad. I'd be lying if I said that I don't get anxiety with every Twitter notification, fearing that I'll find some sort of hot take that calls all this out and paints me as a racist or something. Maybe it's unnecessary to worry about that, and it's certainly unproductive, but I do. Regardless, I know in my heart that I'm learning and becoming a better person. I can't wait to continue that progression and to use my continuously widening perspective to highlight all incredible Philadelphians. Some may not forgive me for taking so long to make such progress. Others will forever say it's not enough, but I'm gonna keep at it and I'm gonna keep learning. And all in all, I'm pretty grateful that I caught that cold. That is a blog post that I wrote 
in January of 2019. I published it, then 30 seconds later got scared and unpublished it back into drafts. And it was never seen again. So what was I afraid of? Well, first off, I've always just been entirely afraid of saying anything remotely controversial. Uh, and so I've pretty much never said anything with any substance. <laughs> um, but, you know, it took a while to realize that it's a privilege to be able to not say anything due to fear. Uh, so, yeah, I was afraid that there would be people who listened to the show who don't agree with what I was saying, and they'd stop listening. And if I'm being honest, I think I was also afraid of the accountability that would come from publicly declaring this. You know, if that were the case, then the world would, well, those who would read it anyway, would hold me to that as well. And I'd have to, I'd be forced to put the energy forward to make good on that promise. But that's not the reason that I share this today. I'm not sharing this blog post as a way for me to publicly declare that I will henceforth put more energy into making sure that the show is more representative of people here in Philadelphia. That is what I'm going to do. I, I mean, I am declaring that now. But the true purpose behind this is to demonstrate what will be needed of us, the white people who claim today to be anti-racist and suddenly are active members of this movement. Now, this isn't shaming anybody, including myself, for not being vocal in the past, but this is a demonstration that when things do cool down, because they will, you will remember the things that you've pledged to do in the past weeks when it comes to equity and equality. And there won't be as much pressure on you to follow through with those claims. I wrote this blog post, was very proud of it, and then pulled it back. Because at that point, why would I go out and call myself out in public, <laughs> right? And I just was afraid of, you know, having to defend myself to my white friends and family who may have given me shit for what I said because there are people who will hear this and roll their eyes. So this is a message to everyone else like me who has been participating and also watching the world change over the past month. It has just begun. And this is actually the easiest time to be vocal about this. Very, very soon, tragically, there will not be as much pressure publicly to be vocal about this. You'll see your Instagram story feeds will go back to people's beers on a Friday night instead of calls to donate, calls to support, calls for defunding the police. And you'll have these thoughts because you do mean well. You'll think about how you can impact racial equity. But then you'll have the option of 
not saying anything, of putting the post back on drafts, never to be seen, and then coasting by for 18 months as people actually compliment you on diversity, which is what has happened to me. I've been on other shows and people have gone out of their way to tell me that I've done a great job having diverse guests. And I've, I remember always thinking like, well, that's interesting because I don't, I don't really think I've done a good job, but I guess I'm doing better than everyone else, so it's fine. Now, the numbers, in case you're curious today, are better than they were when I had this realization. It's now 62% male and 30, 38% female, which is better than 72% male. And it's only 65% white. And the number of black people I've featured is up to 21%. Philadelphia does not look like that. <laughs> so I've still failed. But my biggest, biggest failure was putting that blog post back on drafts 18 months ago and going back into hiding and comfort. So please, together, my fellow white people, let's remember this moment. And inevitably in a couple months, when things quiet down, and it once again becomes easy for us to coast by in our privilege. And it becomes easy for us to ignore the inequality in this country. Don't put the post back on drafts. Continue to be vocal. I'm not going to be perfect. But damn it, it's up to us. Philly Who is going to return next week featuring the story of SportsCenter anchor Kevin Nagandi. So I hope you'll be back for that. In the meantime, Black Lives Matter.